How many of you, let me back up. If someone says to you, hey, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. How many of you are bad news first people? Give me the bad news first so that the good news is not tainted by what has, okay, all right. I read on the internet this week that about 80% of people prefer bad news first, right? I assume that's true because it's on the internet, okay? Um, maybe it just means 80% of people are pessimists, I don't know, okay? Uh, so then how many of you are good news first people? All right, there's like Tommy and Pam, a match made in heaven, right? Good news first people, all right? Oh, are you? I'm sorry, I didn't see you, Jeannie. All right, good news first people. Okay, well, if those of you, the three of you uh, that are good news first people, you're going to be sorely disappointed because I've got some good news and I've got some bad news this morning, but we've got to deal with the bad news first, uh, mostly because the Bible's going to deal with the bad news first, all right? So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read the first three verses and then press pause, all right? Here's what Paul writes. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Welcome to church. <laughs> what an encouraging word for us this morning as we, as we get started. Um, but here's what I, what I want you to, to see is to kind of reorient us where we are in the book of Ephesians. Um, if you haven't been here the last few weeks or, or maybe you're just unaware, the book of Ephesians is a letter written to the church in Ephesus. So it's written to believers by Paul. Okay, and so Paul is writing here and he's talking about, hey, you were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You, you were um, following the course of, of the power, or following the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air. All right, he, he's talking past tense stuff here, right? And, and what he's, he's talking about is he's talking to the Ephesians and he's saying, hey, this is who you were. My shoe is untied. That's going to distract me the rest of the time together. I'm going to go ahead and take care of this while we're going, all right? Um, but he is writing to the Ephesians to tell them, hey, this is who you were apart from or before like Jesus radically transformed your life, okay? But I want you to notice that even though he's writing to the Ephesians, this is not just to the Ephesians, okay? Because look at, look at verse one again. He says, you were dead, and the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That you, uh, in the original language, is plural. So if Paul were from central Kentucky, he would say, y'all, y'all were dead, and the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Okay? But then in verse 3, that circle gets a little wider. Because he says, not only were, were y'all dead, he says, we all once lived according to the passions of our flesh. Okay, so it's, it's not just y'all, it's, it's we, it's us. We're all guilty. Okay, and then he extends the circle even wider again at the end of verse three when he says, hey, this is the case of the rest of mankind. 
right? We were all, all of mankind by nature, by default, children of wrath, all right? So, so this is not just y'all. This is not just us. This is everybody, universal, right? This is the default condition of the human heart, right? Sinful, corrupt, broken, dead, okay? So for all the division in the world today, right? And there's plenty of it. Right, Republican, Democrat, it's an election year, God help us, okay? Rich, poor, black, white, cats, cards, okay? Regardless of all the division in the world, this is the one thing that we all have in common. That apart from Jesus or before Jesus, spiritually dead, hopeless, separated from God. All right? And the result, like, here's what this means. All of us by nature are like a car that's out of alignment. Right? We all just drift, and, and we don't drift towards the things of God. You know what I'm saying? Like, all, like we have corrupt desires. Right? He, look at all the things he says. He kind of fleshes it out. Apart from Jesus, we follow the course of this world. Okay, that means that that by nature, we're sort of drawn towards corruption like a moth to a light bulb. Okay, he says that, that apart from Jesus or before Jesus, we follow the prince of the power of the air. He's talking about Satan and his, his evil schemes, right? Before Jesus radically transforms our heart, like we, like we submit our lives to Satan's rule and reign, right? He says that apart from Jesus or before Jesus, we live in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, right? Before Jesus radically transforms us and changes us from the inside out, like we're prone to follow the sinful compulsions and desires and passions of our flesh, right? Apart from Jesus, like I said, we're a car out of alignment and all of us drift away from the things of God, okay? Away from obedience, away from Holiness, right? And if you don't believe that, it's kind of what theologians would call like depravity of the human heart. You don't believe that, just turn on the news. Right? Like we were, uh, I preached at Springfield this morning and we, uh, we were in my office, me and, and my oldest son, and I've got like a little Alexa device in there that the news pops up on, you know, it just shows you what the, what's going on in the news. And my 10-year-old just casually was like, huh, a man stabbed a woman and such and such. Like that's just what pops up. Like you turn on the news, it's there. Because this is the default condition of the human heart. Sinful, broken, corrupt, spiritually dead. And the result is that all of us, because of that, are by nature children of wrath. Apart from, before Jesus, we're children of wrath. Fully deserving of God's just, righteous punishment for our sin. Okay, listen, I promise you good news is coming, but we've got to deal with the bad news before the good news is really good. Right, this is, this is our default condition. And, and, and I would say, I would even press pause here. Up to this point, Paul's been talking past tense. Right, Paul's been talking to the Ephesians. He's saying, hey, this is who you were until Jesus changed you. This is who you were until the Spirit of God stepped in and did a work. Okay, so he's talking past tense. But the reality is, is if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is not past tense for you. 
This is present tense. Right? If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you are still, as of this moment, dead in your trespasses and sins. You are hopeless, cut off from God. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're still a child of wrath, is what the Bible would say. Right? But the good news right, is that this is not the end of the story. Right? So even if that's you this morning, I told you I had good news for you. Right? And, and that's what we get to in verse 4. All right, look at this, verse 4. Everything changes. But God. Right, two little words that change everything. Change everything. Okay? Like two words that bring life where there was death. Two words that bring light where there was darkness. Two words that bring hope where there was hopelessness. But God. Wait, let's read, read the rest of it. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, and, and by extension, writing to all of us who have trusted in Jesus, he's saying, hey, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You, you used to follow uh, the, the course of this world. You used to follow the prince of the power of the air. Right? You used to be driven and compelled by your sinful desires and compulsions, but that's not who you are anymore because God made you alive together with Christ. Right? And, and so let's just deal with the obvious part here first, right? It starts with what? Two words, but God. So this transition, right? This movement from death to life, like this is a work of God, right? This is, it, it's implied in these two words, but God, like this is a work that God does. God has accomplished your salvation. You don't work for it. You don't earn for it. You don't achieve it. In fact, I'll get to that in just a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Spoiler alert, Okay. This is a work of God. It's implied here. It's also implied in the verses we just read. Because remember our condition apart from Jesus or before Jesus? You can say it. Dead. Right? Spiritually dead. At the risk of sounding crass. I just haven't been around a lot of dead people that are able to accomplish or contribute very much. Okay? And that's our condition until God steps in. Right, so this is right, God moving towards us. In fact, here's one of the notes I, I made. Our contribution to our salvation, the only contribution we make to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. Right, that, that's, that's all that we bring to the table is the sin that makes our salvation necessary. Okay, so so here's the question then. If this is a work of God, if he does this, like if he steps into death and darkness and brings light and life, like what would prompt him to do that? Like why would God do so? Why would God take that step towards us? And, and look at these verses again. I'm going to try and point them out here. But God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. So what would prompt God to to look down on spiritually dead people and move towards us? Like what would prompt him to do that? According to Paul, it's an overflow of his mercy, his love, his grace, and his kindness. It, It was God acting out of an overflow of his character. Right, this is not, listen, God did not look down on like your and my spiritually dead corpse and be like, you know what? There's a little sign of life there. I'm going to give him a shot. Right, that's not how this happened. Okay, and, and God, like, here's what's more encouraging to me. God didn't wait for you to get your act together before he moved towards you. I mean, praise God for that, right? Because some of us, like, he would have never moved towards Okay, so, so it wasn't, I mean, the text says, even when you were still dead in your trespasses, he made you alive. So this is not God looking at something like innate to us and be like, you know what? Potential. Right, and it wasn't God looking at us and be like, man, they really got some things going on. They got it together. I think I'm gonna save them. This was God out of the overflow of his mercy, his love, his grace, and his kindness moving towards us and then taking us from death to life through Jesus. All right, this is, this is Paul's story. Hey, Paul's conversion story, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Uh, if you weren't here or you've slept since then, here's, here's the, <laughs> the reminder, is that Paul was a persecutor of Christians, right? Despised the church, did not believe this gospel that they were preaching, was on his way to take Christians, have them arrested, imprisoned, thrown in jail, probably some of them, many of them even executed. That, that's where Paul was. <clears throat> and then the resurrected Jesus shows up on his road to Damascus. This is like, hey, Paul, uh, I know what you're doing. I know where you're going, uh, but not anymore, right? Because you're working for me now, right? He stepped in. And like changed his, like changed the entire course of his life. And listen, if you're a Christian here this morning, your conversion story is no less miraculous. It may not be recorded on the pages of scripture. Uh, it may not, you may not have, have interacted with the resurrected <clears throat> Jesus. If you did, I'd love to hear about it because I've never heard of that going on, right? But your conversion story was no less miraculous in that you were dead, hopeless, like Paul said, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, following your flesh, and then God stepped in and said, not anymore. That's your story, okay? He made you, like he he replaced your heart of stone with a heart of flesh so that you would believe, right? God moved towards you out of an overflow of who he is. But let's let's read on, verses eight and nine. It's like it just keeps getting better. 
Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? I, like this is all of grace. Right? It, it's all undeserved. It's all unmerited. Right? It's, we talk about God, grace being like sort of God's unconditional love towards us. And I would, I would say it's even better than that. Okay, I remember reading something when I was in seminary. Uh, this guy was a biblical counselor, and he talked about God's grace. It's not that it's unconditional. It's that it's like contra-conditional. In other words, like we've done everything to not deserve it. And yet he still moves towards us. Right? He, he still moves towards us in the sending of his son. Right? It's, it's all of grace. Right? We, don't, we don't work our way. From, from death to life. We don't earn salvation by our own effort. Right? And this is, what makes, this is what makes the gospel and Christianity different from every other major world religion. Right? Every other major world religion would say, hey, if, if you want to get in sort of God, whatever their version of God is, his good graces, you've got you to be enough you got to do more. You got to try harder. You got to level up. You got to tip the scales in your favor by doing more good than bad. Like it, it's on you. So do all you can. Work as hard as you can. Be as good as you can. Behave the best you can. And then at the end of the day, cross your fingers and hope that somebody lets you in to whatever their version of eternal life is. That's every other major world religion. And then the message of the gospel, the message of Christianity is that Try as you might, you'll never be able to do enough. You'll never be able to try hard enough. You'll never reach that level at which you are acceptable. You'll never be enough on your own. But praise God, it's not about you. Right? It's not about what you bring to the table. It's not about your spiritual resume before God. Right? That's not the message of... Right? That, like that's, the, the gospel is, hey, you don't bring anything to this other than the sin that makes it necessary and the faith that's required to receive it. It's all you bring to the table. Right? Jesus did all the work necessary for you to walk in this life that Paul's talking about. I think, think about this is the story of Jesus, the, kind of the full story of the gospel. Jesus existed eternally with the Father. I can't wrap my head around that. Don't ask me about that after service. I won't know what to tell you, all right? Jesus existed eternally, passed with the Father, but wraps himself in flesh, comes <clears throat> to this earth, in the most vulnerable form possible, an, an infant. Right? He, he faces the same weakness and temptations that you and I face. Right? He's, he's bound to the same sort of physical body that you and I are. And then he, he does what you and I could never do in that he perfectly obeys his heavenly father. Right? Lives in perfect obedience, not a, a stain or trace of sin. Okay? And then he 
willingly, gladly, joyfully submits himself as a sacrifice on the cross to satisfy all of God's wrath toward your sin, all of God's wrath towards your rebellion, all those things that Paul talked about in verses one through three, where you follow the course of this world and you follow the prince of the power of the air and you, uh, you followed your own sort of fleshly desires. Like Jesus satisfied God's wrath toward all of those things in his death on the cross. And then he was buried and then he rose again on the third day to prove that the payment was sufficient, that the check cleared. All that's left for you and I to do is to receive that, the gift of salvation by faith. It's not a result of works. Like God's kind of throwing a jab at us there, right? He's like, hey, it's not a result of works so that no one may boast. If it was a result of works, you know what we would do? Look at me. Look what I did. I'm kind of awesome. God's like, nope, (laughs) you are not. All right, it's, it's all of grace to be received. Paul says, saved by grace through faith. Right? To, to, to lay hold of this life that Paul promises, you do so by faith. Okay? And when I say faith, I'm talking about more than just sort of intellectual belief. Right? More than just sort of mental affirmation of this thing that Jesus did. Right? It's more than that. That's a, an important part of it. Right? But, but I think we talk about faith, it's, it's belief but it's also a trust. Okay, and the best illustration that kind of comes to mind and maybe trying to, to think about this is it's one thing for a child to believe that their parent can catch them when they jump from like the fourth or fifth step. Like it's one thing to believe. It's another thing to actually trust your parent enough to just throw all caution to the wind Forget the force of gravity and throw yourself into your parents' arms, trusting they're actually going to catch you before you hit the ground. Like that's faith. And, and this is what Paul's talking about. To receive this life, this promise of life that he's offered. It's, it's by grace. It's, it's not because of anything awesome you've done. Right? But you receive it by throwing yourself fully, totally, with reckless abandon on God's mercy, his love for you, his grace made available to you, his kindness that he's shown to you in the sending of his son. It's throwing yourself fully and wholly and completely and totally on that and saying, this is my only hope of salvation. What God has done for me through Jesus. That's it. That's it. And so... Here's what I would say. I'm going to get to some, some kind of applications here in just a minute. But before we ever get to a time of response, if that's you this morning, you're like, man, I need to do that. I've never done that. I've never, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never trusted him in that way. Man, we would love to talk to you about that this morning. Right? Love to pray with you, have a conversation with you. We can do that here in just a minute whenever the band comes to sing. You want to pull me aside after service? We can do that. If you just want to turn to the person next to you and be like, man, I think I need to do that, right? Turn to them. And if you're the person that somebody turns to and you're like, 
I don't know what to do with this. Then you like say, hey, come with me. Let's go talk to the pastor. All right? That's available to you today. Life. Life is available to you today. All right? But, but what about for those of us who have believed? Because here's what I'm inclined to believe. I don't know the hearts and souls of people in this room. Like, I don't get to declare that. But, but here's, based on what I know, I think a lot of us have probably, like, we've done that. Like, we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus. We've thrown ourselves imperfectly but totally on him. And, and so what do we do with this? Like, what do we do with this, uh, th- this reality that we were once dead, hopeless, cut off, but God has made us alive together through Christ? Like, what's our response to this? And I've got three things because it's very Baptist of me, all right? Here's the first one. This should create in us a deep, deep humility. If we were all once dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, if we were all once sort of submitting ourselves to Satan's rule in our lives, if we were all all following the course of this world, if we were all following the desires and compulsions of our flesh, and if we were all once children of wrath, and we were, and yet God has acted to save us, to restore us into relationship with him. And it's not based on anything that we bring to the table. It's just what he has done for us. If all that's true, and it is, then that should fill us with a deep sense of humility before God, yes, but but also with one another. There is no room for spiritual arrogance at the foot of the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus has outed us. We're all hopeless. None of us bring anything to the table. We all need him. So there should not be a a hint of spiritual superiority among the people of God. And I'm just going to be honest, like what drives me up the stinking wall is when I see people, usually on Facebook, who, who... talk about or reference lost people and talk about them in condescending ways because they're lost people. Like how much sense does it make to, to, to look at people who are spiritually dead, expect them to act like they're alive, and then get frustrated when they act like they're spiritually dead? Makes zero sense. Zero sense. What we should remember is that were it not for God's mercy, love, grace, and kindness towards us, like that would be us. We would still be spiritually dead. We would still be far off. And so I think what that does is it should move us in humility towards people. So when the people who are far from God don't act like us, like, hey, that's normal. They're far from God. And we move towards them in compassion, and humility, because were it not for the grace of God, there go I. All right? Two. I think this should, the reality of, of, of Ephesians 2, that we were once dead, that we've been made alive through Christ, should, should create in us, stir our hearts towards just a deeper worship. Okay? And when I say worship, I mean more than 
the 15 to 20 minutes of music on a Sunday morning. Like if that's, if that's your definition of worship, like your definition is so small. All right, where Paul would write elsewhere in Romans 12, that we offer our entire lives as an act of worship. Right, every aspect of our, like our, we don't get compartmentalized lives as Christians. It's not like God gets an hour on Sunday, maybe 15 minutes each morning, and then the rest is mine. No, like he gets it all. I've heard people say before, he's either Lord of all or he's just not Lord at all. And so the reality that we were once dead, but God has acted to make us alive, that should move us in worship to reorient every aspect of our lives around God and what he has done for us. It should move us to say, I want to give God what is first and best, whether that's our time, our, uh, our uh, talents and gifts and abilities, our resources, to give the, the first and best to God for what he has done for us. He didn't have to do anything for us. He moved towards us in mercy and grace. And our response is to worship him because of it. So humility, worship. Here's the third one. This, this gets me to verse 10. All right, the third one's obedience. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this verse. It's a significant verse. But the reality is the rest of the book of Ephesians is going to be this verse sort of teased out. What does it look like to live a life of good works? All right, but what I do want you to see is that if you're here and you're a believer, you're a Christian, you've trusted in Jesus, not only are you saved from something, right? I mean, you are, but not only are you saved from something, you're also saved to something, to walk in greater obedience to God and his word, to walk in greater conformity to the image of Jesus, right? To do that in the the places where we live and work and play, right? to, to walk in greater obedience to what the Lord has for us so that other people might see us as the, the, the workmanship that we are. Right? That, that, that word that he uses in verse 10, that we are his workmanship. That word can be translated and, and is translated in other versions as masterpiece or um, like, a, like, like a trophy of God's grace. And God's grace is made visible in us as we live and work and play in such a way that, that, we, that we obey God's word. So that the places, the people in those places would look at us and say, man, there's something different there. There's something different about that person. Right? Their life is just different. They're filled with a certain hope. Right? They, they, they carry themselves in, in a certain way. Like they, they live in such a way that man, something's different. That's what it means to, we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved to good works. Right? Good works will be the natural overflow, the natural response of someone who has been made alive through Christ. Right? It, if you're a Christian, you, you went from having, like I said, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You've been moved from death to life. 
Okay? And the transition from death to life should make us look and live different. All right? So, so think about how to respond, whether it's, whether it's repentance and faith, maybe trusting in Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's responding with, with, with greater humility, rem- remembering who we were before or apart from Christ. Maybe it's responding with greater sense of worship because of what God has done for us. Responding in greater obedience because of the, the power of God at work within us. Right, whatever response looks like for you this morning, here's what I know. Is, is we can't just like do those things in our own power and strength. Right? That's not how this thing works. And so here, here's how we're going to close our time together. I'm just going to pray for us and we're going to ask the Spirit to do that work in us. Right? But let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I promise I'm not going to pull any gimmicks. But how many of you would just say, you think about these big areas of, of humility, of worship, of obedience. How many of you would, by the show of hands, you'd raise your hand and say, I mean, I've got room to grow there, right? Hey, my hand is, my hand is up. I'm with you. Like I said, you are my people. We are in this together, right? So we're just going to pray. We're going to ask the Spirit to kind of pull and tug at our hearts wherever he needs to and ask him to do a work there, okay? And then after we pray, if you'd like to, to come to the front and talk, maybe you'd like to talk about receiving Jesus for the first time. We'd love to do that. All right, let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning, and um, Lord, we are grateful. That's not even like, it's not even a sufficient word to know, to know where we were apart from you before you Lord, worked in our lives. And to know like what you've saved us to you've moved us from death to life from darkness to light from hopelessness to hope from eternal punishment to eternal life like where you lavish your riches on us for all eternity it's it's not fair it's not And I, God, thank you that you're not fair because we know what we deserve. And so we're just grateful, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, for your kindness. Lord, my prayer this morning is that if there's one here in this room that's never experienced that for themselves, they've never just thrown themselves fully on your mercy, love, grace, kindness that they would this morning. That's my prayer. I pray that you would prompt their hearts in this moment to respond in in faith. And not only that they would respond in faith, but they they would tell someone, whether it's the person sitting next to them or whether it's to come find me at the altar or after service, say, hey, I want to have a conversation about this. I pray that you would prompt their hearts in that way, Lord. But that's a work that only you can do. So we ask that you would. And then for the rest of us here, Lord, that would just acknowledge, confess by a show of hands that we have so much room to grow in humility, in in worship, in obedience. 
Lord, would you in this moment reveal the places in our lives where we need to, where we need to respond, where we need to repent of spiritual arrogance or spiritual pride, where we need to repent of um, apathetic worship, where we give God just the leftovers rather than the first and best. Would you convict us of where we need to repent of of just kind of half-hearted obedience? Like where we don't take serious your call and your commands on our lives, where we do not pursue the things you tell us to pursue, or we pursue the things you tell us not to pursue. Would you convict us of those things in this moment that we might respond in repentance, in greater faith and trust? So Lord, do a work among us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.